This is Bonjour Chai, the We Put the Oi Back in Cowboy edition. I'm your host, David Sklar in Calgary, riding solo this week, where we are shining a light on the Jews of Southern Alberta. So giddy up, get your line dancing in order, and saddle down for a hoedown. On today's show, I talk with Irina Karshenbaum, who takes me on a tour of the little synagogue on the prairie. I also visit my first kosher pancake breakfast to usher in the stampede, still going strong all over town. But first, we have a panel of true blue Calgarians to discuss the past, present, and future of the Jews of Southern Alberta. When I told my mother I was thinking of moving out west from Montreal in 2014, she stopped and looked at me in horror and said, but you'll need to get a new passport, open a new bank account and everything. Of course, while she technically knew Calgary was located in Canada, in her mind, the prairie, oil-churning, big sea conservative province that she last visited in the 70s could have been on another planet as far as she was concerned. But I was won over by the Wild Rose Province. People said good morning to each other while waiting for the C-Train. Each time I drove on Crowchild Trail and turned on my turn signal, drivers actually let me in. Whereas in Montreal, it's almost a call to arms. But more than anything, I rediscovered my Judaism here. Back home, I didn't have to do anything to be Jewish. I could let it wash over me. It was everywhere and thus made it feel like it was nothing. But coming out here where the Jewish population is significantly smaller, I had to work at being a Jew. I had to become proactive if my Jewishness was to mean anything. I returned to Shoal, a place I hadn't set foot in in years. And I worked to find and grow with a community. And I have to say, I feel more Jewish here in Calgary than I've ever felt in Montreal or Toronto. Maybe I like being on the margins. Maybe I just needed a reset. Maybe the place that recently won third place in the world as the most livable city has all the right ingredients. And maybe our three guests can help explain it. With us today is Judy Shapiro. Judy is a retired journalist and Jewish community professional. Daniel Breitman is the Director of Engagement Programs at the Calgary Jewish Federation. And Harry Sanders is a historian, historical consultant, freelance writer, and speaker. Everyone, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Bonjour Chai. Bonjour. Thank you. So Harry, I think I'd like to turn to you first. And if we can go a bit back into the past, can you briefly tell us who were the first Jews to arrive here what were they were seeking and why did they stay? Right. Uh, the, I mean, a permanent Jewish settlement in Alberta, in what's now Alberta, uh, dates back to 1889. But there were some Jews who passed through earlier on, uh, fur traders, uh, miners, uh, uh, before, uh, even before the Mounted Police arrived. There was um, uh, a uh, Jewish horse trader present at uh, the signing of Treaty 7 in 1877. Um, but, uh, oh, and, and uh, Jewish railway builders, uh, uh, laborers working on the CPR through the prairies up to Calgary, uh, and uh, even itiner itinerant Jewish merchants uh, working along the railhead as the Canadian Pacific Railway was built. Jacob Diamond and his wife Rachel were the first permanent Jewish settlers in Calgary in 1889, uh, and it was Jacob and his, his brother who um, organized the first services in Calgary in 1894 at the Masonic Hall for, uh, for the High Holidays. It was um, overwhelmingly, if not exclusively, Ashkenazim from Eastern Europe. So typical story for those years. Uh, but uh, I'd say um, uh, one, one important uh, uh, thing to mention is by the census of 1911, 
Calgary had 613 Jews, one for every commandment. I was just going to say, that's a good number. And it was a, a excellent number and a significant proportion of the city population. That was one and a half percent of Calgary, which is a larger percentage than now. And by that time, um, a lot of the Jewish institutions were established. The uh, the um, uh, We were on the verge of having a Va'ad Ha'ir, which is now the Calgary Jewish Federation, um, the first synagogue in the province, the Hebra Kedisha, the cemetery, um, the Zionist Association. Uh, and um, anyway, those those are the origins. So then over the past hundred years, what are some of the important contributions that Jews have given to the city? Uh, well, you know, you can you can read some of them in uh, in, in the map of the city. Uh, you look at things like the um, um, Arts Commons, the performing arts center that we have. Two of the three large theaters are named for Jewish people who contributed money or, or efforts into it. Um, you look at the um, uh, Olympic Plaza. What was there? It was the largest indoor um, produce market, I believe in Western Canada, and about half of the merchants were Jews. Uh, but you look at a few of the other things, um, the, uh, the white hat that is the, uh, uh, the Smith Belt hat, that is the symbol of hospitality for Calgary. Well, who created it? It was, um, uh, it was, uh, Morris Schumiacher, uh, who, uh, and when asked once, why didn't you call it a, why'd you change your name to Smith? He said, would you buy a Schumiacher Belt hat? Uh, so, so there's that contribution. Um, and just, uh, here's another little bit of whimsy though, is is um, the first Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise um, in this area was uh, was Barney Gelfand's. And in those days, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken was known by the name of the franchisee locally. So since it was so, so you know, generations of Calgarians always went to Barney's not knowing it was Barney Gelfand. Uh, so, you know, just, just a little bit of whimsy there. One other quick thing, the um, Calgary's uh, 1911 Sandstone City Hall uh, just had a $30 million restoration. Um, few know that it was a Jewish man um, uh, who uh, who personally installed the clock in the clock tower. I think uh, when, when you were talking about the hats, I was very excited on my first episode here, but way back in November, I said, well, I, I brought up my Stenson hat and I, I just, instead of the Stetson hat, I made a fool of myself on the first episode and I had to just make mea culpas throughout as we did. It was very good to know that, that information. Judy, uh, I'm curious, what have been some of the successes here, but also maybe some of the challenges facing our community in the past few years? Well, you know, I think the major success of the Calgary Jewish community is that it um, it's like it's like Alberta as a whole. It's a community that takes initiative and gets things done. So um, it's a community that, for its size, contributes much more than um, other other cities um, in the in the same uh, of the same populate same population, it um, it's it's a community that when I grew up here, there was already two schools, there were two butchers, there was um, there were two kosher caterers. Since then, there have there are no kosher butchers. There's no kosher bakery. Um, the Palliser Hotel used to have kosher functions, and it doesn't anymore. So I think that what we're seeing is that for Orthodox people, it's harder to live in Calgary. For people who aren't Orthodox, it's not, because there's a full range of synagogues to, to choose from. There are two schools. It's a very vibrant, active community with a great JCC and um, a federation that's very active. And one of the things that I think is special about this community is because it's small, 
we're not we're not in our little pockets. So the Orthodox and Re- Orthodox people know Reform uh, Jews. That doesn't happen in big cities. In big cities, there's enough of a of a population base that you don't have to know people who are not like you, and. That's one of the beauties of this community, I think. I, I, you're, you're right. I think you're more likely to find a Mennonite or even a Hutterite than an Orthodox Jew walking down the street here. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there aren't very many Orthodox Jews, ultra-Orthodox for sure, not. But um, the other thing I was going to say is that we've been incredibly successful working with other community groups with with the Muslim community, with the various Christian denominations, with um, anti-racist groups, where we have a presence in in the overall Calgary community, and I think that's a really important factor. I mean, you did you did touch upon this in terms of all the different organizations like Reform, Conservative, even Chabad. What has their relationship been further here in terms of the organizations? And I know I'm a member of the Jewish Adult Committee, where we do get together and we do share our resources. Have you found that maybe this is a little different outside this city? Yeah. I mean, I I, I lived in Toronto. Um, I wasn't involved in the Jew- Jewish community in Toronto because exactly what you said, David, you can be Jewish in Toronto and not be Jewish. <laughs> you know, not try to be Jewish, not not to engage, because the people there are people around you who are Jewish, so you don't have to seek out Jewish life. Here, you have to seek it out, and it's there. There's wonderful things. There's something for everybody. So it, it, it's, it's a very vibrant community. I agree. Uh, Danielle, as I mentioned, you do work for the Calgary Jewish Federation, and you are probably the youngest member of this panel today. Uh, I'm curious to hear more about some of your work plans for the Jewish future here in the city. Sure, yeah. So I am the Director of Engagement Programming, both for Calgary Jewish Federation and JCC. So we found an opportunity even there to create collaboration with two community agencies, which has been really amazing, and lends to our ideas of succession within the community itself. I come from a very small Jewish community that, quite frankly, is a dying community, and so I maybe have a little bit of a different um, driving force than the average person who is born and raised in a large community, because I've seen what happens. Which which community? Is I that? grew up in Regina, Saskatchewan. Okay. Currently, their population is about a hundred families, so it's very small. And most of the people I grew up with live in Calgary now. I do find that people who are born and raised in the larger city centers, Calgary, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto it's almost taken for granted the infrastructure and the availability of Jewish engagement and Jewish life. Coming from a much smaller demographic and smaller community, it's really the driving force behind my work is to ensure that our community does not end up like Lethbridge and does not end up where Regina is going and hopefully not, but potentially Saskatoon is going also, where we just have an aging population with no one to come in and fill the shoes of, you know, the people who came before us, our grandparents, our parents. And so some of the things we're working on in the Federation are succession plans for all of the different departments, making sure that we're continually getting younger seniors in for our golden age program so they can age with the program, working on different mentorship opportunities and intergenerational mentorship program where we have 
mockers in the community or people who are huge in entrepreneurial ventures mentoring our young professionals and then having our young professionals mentor the university students who in turn will mentor the high school students who in turn will mentor the you know preteen demographic and on and on and on to keep that continuation going of engagement in our community with such high rates of intermarriage and people kind of taking a step back from what we view as a traditional Jewish structure, it presents a whole new opportunity for us to engage in ways that we never have before and include a much larger, more diverse group of people that will help keep the community strong, but it'll look a little bit different than maybe what our grandparents we're used to. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And someone who's about to have an interfaith marriage, I think that is a, a really legitimate concern where what will the next generation look like here? And sometimes I feel that maybe the, the typical Jewish institutions don't have the, the cool factor. As a young person, you sort of want to stay away from these organizations. You feel that this is Bubby and Zadie's institution where they would go and have a schwitz and do some exercise and, you know, kibitz about. And, and how, what are we doing to sort of make it worthwhile for the young people in their, in, their, in their teens and in their young adult life to want to participate and to feel very proactive in these institutions. Yeah, it's such a valid point. And one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're hopping on the sustainability bandwagon and we're currently applying for grants to be able to create a community garden here at the JCC. This works on so many different levels for community engagement, for partner organization engagement, but also to bring a younger demographic and a family demographic into the Jewish center, onto the land, into the space that maybe would not have thought that they really had a reason to come here before and give them that opportunity to, to do some tikkun olam, to do some repairing of the world, to help teach about sustainability and agriculture, you know, have the schools come in, rent a plot, grow a garden. And the idea is for us to actually have two sides, one that people can rent plots and one that's completely volunteer run, where the crops are donated to Jewish Family Services or a senior center, people who are in need. So we're really trying to focus on giving back into the community in a greater way than we have previously. Maybe I'll, I'll hear back from some of the older members of our panel because some things maybe that I find are missing is when we do talk about tikkun olam, maybe not everyone gets on board on it. And I'm thinking to the older generations, the thing that really sustained them, I felt, were things like the synagogue, the rotary club, things that really made them feel united and tied together. Do, do either of you, Judy or Harry, do you feel that that is missing when we talk about the secession planning for the next generations? Right. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll mention, David, like you, um, I'm intermarried. Uh, my children have been to the mikveh. I, they are widely accepted. You know, no one challenges their Judaism in Calgary. I mean, not in their experience anyway. What what uh, Danielle was talking about, the uh, Beth Tzedek Synagogue had like a kind of a tikkun olam um, assignment 
uh, for uh, for bar and, uh, bat mitzvah kids, you know, so that that was uh, attractive to them. Uh, but I do have to say, yeah, my kids have didn't had no interest in BBYO, which was my Jewish connection after leaving the Hebrew school, uh, just zero interest, uh, and uh, not Hillel in university. And then I think my daughter is kind of hungering for some kind of tikkun olam option, and and she hasn't recognized it in the Jewish community. But not to say it isn't there. But yeah, I I think that's you know in my experience of of you know having children. Um, I think that's what they're looking for, and I think Danielle's onto something. Judy, do you do you feel the same way as Harry? I do. I th- I think that there's good news and bad news for Jewish communities everywhere, and the good news is that we are accepted in the um, overall community, so we can join whatever clubs we want to join. We can be involved in whatever um, projects we want to be involved in. Um, we're acceptable marriage partners which is good news and it's bad news. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad news that we're acceptable marriage partners, but it's it means that we don't have to be as isolated and insulated as we used to feel that we had to be. Now, whether we actually had to be or not, I'm not sure, but we, um, you know, I think in my parents' generation, they found everything that they needed within the Jewish community and they didn't look elsewhere and they weren't welcome in a lot of other places. My generation, we were welcome, but we still felt more comfortable in the Jewish world. My kids are perfectly comfortable everywhere and I don't, and and so the Jewish communities have to be more creative in appealing to um, people who are finding their their um, social action, their philanthropy, their um, community involvement elsewhere. Danielle, uh, Judy talked about acceptance and how that's changed over time. And I think you've worked with college, uh, the University of Calgary, with students in the past too. I am curious, you know, we have touched, we have touched upon this a lot in the past on this podcast about the rising anti-Semitism across this country, but as well as in, in the world as well too. How has the city and maybe the university been doing in addressing some of these concerns? Oh, you do ask the difficult questions, David. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say that for the most part, the university and the city have been very open to hearing our concerns about the rise of anti-Semitism, both in our educational institutions and in the city itself. I would say that we have a very good relationship with the Calgary Police Service. Um, when there are issues of hate crimes, they respond very quickly and very efficiently. When we need additional security to ensure the safety of our community, they are very responsive with sending extra patrols around, coming in, making their presence known. So as a minority group, we are quite unique in that way that the police are not somebody that we have issues with, which is incredible for us and hopefully will begin to transfer through to other um, more visible minorities in the future. But that's for a whole different podcast discussion. During May of 2021, when we were really seeing that massive increase of anti-Semitism all around the world coming out of the inflated tensions in Israel and Palestine, 
Unfortunately, it was not an easy time to be Jewish in Calgary. We realized that a lot of our allies were not allies. They were silent. And that was a really big problem. So currently, we're working on rebuilding those relationships, rebuilding new relationships with more of an education-focused format. And that's really, I think, the most important thing is making sure that that education is there when talking about the conflict and how it relates to Jewry in Canada and in Calgary. I, I might echo some of those concerns. You know, I work in the arts a lot and I feel that whenever um, a minority is abused or uh, there is disrespect involved, we stand up and we, we call it out. But maybe in the past year when it was the Jews that were being affected, it was total silence. I can only speak for my community involved here. And I, I did feel that and I did have to question why that was the cause. Um, you, you mentioned certain communities that you felt let you down. What, who are these these community members that you sort of felt we need to do more and we need to reach out more to them because we felt let down by them in the past? Well, without calling anybody out specifically, I would say that, you know, certain members of political parties, um, partner, not partner organizations, but non-Jewish organizations where we have had friendly relations in the past. And it's not that these people necessarily were taking one side or the other, but it was the silence that was deafening and it's not a silence that we've been seeing with any other issues that have come up during this pandemic time you know black lives matter uh the horrific findings of you know the mass graves for indigenous we don't see because jews are considered white to most Canadians and North Americans because they haven't seen the Sephardic population, the Beta Israel. And so we're given this idea that we have white privilege until someone finds out that we're a Jew and then that white privilege is stripped. And we are right back down to all of the, the anti-Semitic tropes that we have been dealing with for thousands of years. Um, and that's where the education comes in as to why that silence was hurtful, and also educating on what that conflict in the Middle East actually is, and the subtle nuances of it that in, you know, the, the typical dichotomy that we have of having to have a hero and a villain in every situation, why that doesn't apply to that situation, why that can't apply to that situation. Judy, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I think um, historically, um, the Jewish community has received a great deal of support when we are attacked um, on the basis of anti-Semitism. For example, um, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, um, there was a, a major graffiti attack on Jewish institutions, including the Holocaust Memorial um, at the JCC, that was disgusting and it was horrible. And as a result of that, there was a rally that we organized, but um, church groups, anti-racist groups, Muslims, the Muslim community, the Sikh community, everybody wanted to be a part of the Say No to Hate rally. And that was because it was not Israel-based. It was just white supremacist, um, a, a white supremacist attack on our community. Where it gets complicated is when it's um, involving Israel-Palestine and 
I think that the Jewish community has a harder time educating, as what Danielle said, is that education is what we have to do, but we have a harder time devising the methodology of doing that and the outreach to, to other groups. But, you know, my, my philosophy always was and still is that we just have to keep reaching out. We just have to keep reaching out to every other ethnic group, every church group, every whatever, and talk about our commonalities and make sure that we insert our our issues at the same time. Oh, I, I feel as Judy does. I think it's when it's when it's a clear anti-Semitism thing and not Israel-Palestine. Um, you know, in, in my recollection, the support is there. And I think of a more recent example, Judy, than the one you mentioned, which was the Tree of Life uh, shooting. There was an overwhelming, this was before the pandemic, uh, but, uh, you know, there were representation from just about every faith group in Calgary, political. It was all at the largest synagogue here, the Beth Sedek, um, and uh, an overwhelming show of support. Um, but I also uh, feel, as Danielle does, that there is something of an erasure of the Jewish experience, you know, that there were increasingly, and this isn't Calgary based, this is this is a wider phenomenon, but just the um, the the shift of the uh, consideration of what constitutes discrimination has uh, sort of taken more of the form of, you know, gender based uh, sexual orientation and racial, racial uh, and not. Um, so any any sort of inter white um, historical experience is is um, is erased from memory so that that Jews were once othered is forgotten. You know, I think it it should be um, uh, an, an example of of how to overcome discrimination. Here, Jews have gone from being um, othered and discriminated against and turned it around and successfully integrated into society, into the, the broader society. It should be an example of, of what's possible. Instead, it's forgotten. You know, whatever um, experiences, you know, uh, uh, the first Jewish um, Supreme Court justice, let's say, well, while it was a big deal at the time, it's now forgotten. You know, it's just a dead white man now. Fair enough. Now, you know, if, if we're going to talk about how I mentioned about being proactive, what is it rather than an institution that we rely on these institutions to help us? What is something that as individual Jews, we could be doing to help propel this community more fully strengthened, more supportive? What is it if, if you were to take any meaning that you wanted to tell the next generation as an individual, this is what you can do to help, help sustain the Jewish future here? Be proud. Be who you are. And, and don't try to, to, to hide it. You are who you are. You come from an incredible history, an incredible tradition. Be proud of it and show it. Uh, Judy, can I follow up on what you just said? I feel I got that living in Calgary. I mean, always, Jews have always been a small minority. But up until I finished Hebrew school, I felt I lived in Jewish Calgary. You know, I lived it, worked, sorry, um, attended the Calgary Hebrew School, um, went to BBYO, uh, and uh I felt, and this was my parents' intention, and I think it's a pretty wide phenomenon, um, is uh, it prepared me to face society as a Jewish person. And I'm never so proud, Judy, you talk about the, the solution is to be a proud Jew. I feel that, and I feel that the way, the way I'm a proud Jew, I'm never more proud to be Jewish than when I'm interacting outside of the Jewish community with others as a Jewish person. And uh, just to get ahead of the Nachas question you're asking, you're going to ask us, David. Um, uh, you know, when um, a few years back, 
uh, Rabbi uh, Shaul Osachi started a, um, uh, a council of Jewish and Muslim uh, clerics in Calgary, just a discussion group. Uh, and they would meet at the synagogue or at one of the, the, the mosques. Uh, and one time uh, the uh, council convened a meeting at the, uh, at the Beth Tzedek, and there were way more Muslims at the synagogue than Jews that night. And we had such a marvelous time. And afterward, the, uh, the, the Jewish women got to try on hijabs. And, you know, um, uh, that, that to me is, 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 is uh, it sustains me as a Jew to just be out there unashamed, un, you know, not hiding it, but it's, uh, it's joyous. I would say that in my field division, the most important thing is education. If you don't understand where you came from and why we are still doing these traditions that we have been doing for 5,000 years, how can you be proud and how can you educate other people on why we do what we do? So for me, the biggest thing is that education piece and not just about Judaism and not just about the religion the culture, but also educating yourself on different ethnic groups and seeing where our similarities are, where we can celebrate the differences, where we can learn from one another. And for me, that's what creates that Jewish pride is knowing why I have something to be proud for. I often say that, you know, 6 million Jews didn't perish in World War II in the Holocaust for me to give up that culture and that tradition and that pride. We're gonna to head to our Nachas right now. Harry kind of took the wind out of my sails already. So Harry, we'll come to you last. So, so Judy, I asked all you panelists to come up with something of a Nachas, something that makes you feel Jewish or goodish or both recently. Judy, do you have a Nachas for us? I actually have two, and and I, um, I'm i not gonna pick which one to give you. I'm gonna give you both because they're so great. Um, my first Nachas as a Jewish Calgarian is seeing Isaac Bogosh on television um, almost every night talking about um, COVID and, and educating the public. Isaac is a, is a nice Jewish boy from Calgary who was part of the Jewish community, and it gives me a great deal of pride to see somebody like Isaac represent the Jewish community of Calgary. That's not what he's doing, but you know that in my heart, that's what he's doing. Um, so that's one nachas. The other nachas is the Calgary Jewish uh, community recently had an amazing exhibit at the Glenbow Museum called Here to Tell. It was organized by two absolutely phenomenal women, Marnie Bondar and, and Dahlia Libin, and it was a photographic exhibit of Holocaust survivors which told the story of the Holocaust and of people who made their homes eventually or had some connection to the Calgary Jewish community. And it was an amazing experience being there. I was a docent, being there and talking to people, educating people about our history, about human rights, about the importance of democracy, but also just um, chatting with people from all sorts of communities from visitors to Calgary and it made me so proud to be part of this community that produced this phenomenal exhibit. Um, all the credit goes to Marnie and Dahlia but I was so proud to be a part of this community. 
Danielle, do you have an office for us? Yes, and actually, it, it's almost along the lines of Judy's. So we recently had Federation's annual general meeting, and at this meeting, we give out what are called Shem Tov Awards, and these are awards for amazing volunteer work in the community with all of our different agencies. And this year, for the first time in, I think, five years, we gave out our Cheryl Shore Emerging Leader Award. And we gave it to the current Hillel president, Leanne Grisaru, who also is a docent at um, Here to Tell. And she recently told me that the, being a recipient of that award, having the opportunity to work with Here to Tell, and her experiences with running Hillel and being engaged in the Jewish community has actually completely shifted her life plan. And she now plans on using her schooling to devote 100% into working with the Jewish community, sustaining the Jewish community, growing the Jewish community. And I, I have never been more proud of anyone in my life than for her to, to say that to me. It really, for us, drives home the impact of what we're doing and that we are making a difference and we are helping people find their journey and find their place within the Jewish community and how they can use that place to help the community at large. Harry, you are officially out of your timeout right now. Uh, what is your nachas? Uh, this is going back about a decade, but in the in the course of history, that's that's recent enough for for our purposes. It's the it was the dedication of the little synagogue at Heritage Park. Um, Heritage Park is a, a living uh, history museum uh, with with authentic heritage buildings brought in from from other sites, and there was a large phenomenon of uh, of Jewish agricultural settlement, of you know in many parts of the world including Western Canada. So there were there were many, many um, Jewish farmers in in southern Alberta in um, in a century ago. Uh, you know, like me, a lot of Calgarians are descended from those farmers. Um, and there were at least two synagogues, rural synagogues in Alberta. And this is one. So this was um, identified, uh, purchased, brought to Calgary uh, and restored at Heritage Park. And when it opened, uh, it was big ceremony, and it just felt like everybody in the community was there. And we all walked from the gate, you know, down this uh, this lane to where the synagogue was. And I have never seen that many Jews in one place outside of Israel. Uh, and we had a wonderful time. We all had a single purpose, which, which was, you know, to celebrate, you know, this this phenomenon of the past and what it meant to us. If you continue listening to this episode after this panel discussion, you will hear an interview with Irina Karshenbaum where we talk about the Little Synagogue on the Prairie. So with that, everyone, I just want to thank you so much for, for coming in today virtually to discuss everything going on in Southern Alberta. And um, with that, I hope you have a great rest of the stampede to anyone who's in Calgary right now. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom-designed jewelry along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person and Eric Goldberg will help make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Montrechai listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com. Here is my conversation with Irina Karshenbaum at Heritage Park to explain how a little synagogue's journey from Shibolt to Calgary finally found a home. 
My name is Irina Karschenbaum and I'm a writer, heritage advocate, and I'm the founder and president of the Little Synagogue on the Prairie Project Society. And we're in the Little Synagogue on the Prairie right now as we're speaking. Yes, we are. This building, it was the Little Synagogue used to be called the Montefiore Institute in a colony called the Montefiore Colony in eastern Alberta, close to the Alberta-Saskatchewan border, and the, the colony was founded in 1910 and by 1916 the colonists decided that they were large enough uh, that they needed a synagogue they needed a building and so they built this building can you describe actually what we're looking at right now sure we are in the sanctuary so there's two rooms in the building the first room when we came in to the right uh, that was the hater the school and also the place that was used uh, uh, for uh, the kitchen if the colonists would come and they'd have some kind of a wedding or a dance. They'd come with their food, and so the food would be in the small room uh, to the left um, of the building as you come in. And this room, this room was the sanctuary. Uh, we have a bima that was built by some volunteers in the Jewish community. And how did, how did the synagogue actually end up here at Heritage Park in Calgary, Alberta? It was located um, in, you know, the Montefiore colony, and the farming conditions were terrible there. Uh, it was bitterly cold in the winter, it was hot and dry in the summer, and they really couldn't grow much of anything. So they didn't last for very long. Like They only survived till about the mid-1920s. They abandoned the colony, they abandoned the building. Um, you know, the colonists, they came to Calgary, they went to Edmonton, they went to Southern California where they became chicken farmers. Oh. And uh, the building stood empty, it was used to store grain, and then around 1940, it was moved to the town of Hannah. Very famous for Nickelback. Correct. And the synagogue too. Yes, and I also believe very famous for uh, uh, Lanny McDonald, who brought uh, the Stanley Cup to Calgary. Oh. Yes. So, um, so this the synagogue came to Hannah, Alberta, uh, and it was converted to a family home, and it was in uh, the possession of this one family for about sixty-eight years. So, from about nineteen forty, maybe into the nineteen forties, till two thousand and eight, and this the society I founded. Oh, we found the building. One of my board members, uh, Emmanuel Cohen, he has since passed away. He um, he actually physically found the building. So what got you interested in the first place of wanting to do this type of project? Uh, well, I wanted to put a synagogue in Heritage Park and I wanted to tell a broader story of Southern Alberta history. So what I started to do in late 2005 was I started to write a proposal to put a synagogue in Heritage Park and I started to gather volunteers. And But I had an idea of... I, as I was doing the research for the project, I um, thought we would build a replica. And there was, uh, you know, some research done by, you know, historians from other generations, one of whom was Jack Switzer. He has since passed away. Uh, and he wrote some articles about the Montefiore Institute. And so we, uh, you know, we had a photograph of it. We had the measurements of it. And so that was part of my proposal that I sent to Heritage Park. Uh, you know, that we're, we'd like to undertake this project, we'd like to give you a synagogue, and we're proposing to build a replica. 
the idea when the project was approved by Heritage Park to move an actual building was insanity to me. I thought, you know, uh, I don't have a real um, uh, a heritage restoration background. I don't have. Uh, I I'm not an architect. Uh, at the time, I was a securities analyst for uh, working for a regulator, and I was doing this part time. You know, something uh, something that I love to do. When Emmanuel Cohen, like our project was approved in September of 2006, Emmanuel Cohen, he drove out to Hannah because he was a real estate appraiser. And so he kind of, and he was from that area. He physically found the building. We knew of a restoration architect, Lauren Simpson. Uh, he went out, drove out there, had a look at it. And he decided, he determined that the building was uh, strong enough to withstand a move. Like we can actually move the building. Because for people who don't know, Hannah to Calgary, how long is that? Uh, like 200 kilometers. I don't, three and a half hours. Three and a half hours, yeah. Okay, so three and a half hours. It wasn't so much like the drive uh, of a building on a truck for three and a half hours. I mean, it was like, how are we going to cut the building off the foundation and not have the building collapse? Right. And I remember going for a meeting to... Uh, at the offices of the restoration architect of Lauren Simpson, and uh, the vice president was there for the project, Trudy Cowan, Emmanuel Cohen was there. And they were like, um, Irina, look over there. And they pointed to Elveden Place, you know, which is a building, uh, I don't know, 15 stories in Calgary, like a 1960s high rise building. And they were like, Irina, if you want to move that building, that building can be moved. And I, and I thought this was like something, you know, so out of this world. And I, and they were looking at me because I'm the president, you know, to make the decision. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll move the building. <laughs> so, and it's been here for how, how many years now? Uh, so it's been here, well, as of yesterday. So on the grand opening was June 28, 2009. So that would make it's last the, night. The, the, the last, uh, today is June 29th. Yeah. So we had our bar mitzvah celebration. So your timing is perfect. Uh, in, um, so if this, if this was a man, story. this would be the bar mitzvah. If this, if this house is a female, uh, a, a butt mitzvah. That, that's right. Yes. So then, and, and what I found out is you're also a volunteer here. So you work here um, throughout the summer times or throughout the whole year? What, what do you do here? Uh, well, I'm a volunteer interpreter and I have been for about 10 years and I'm here the odd Sunday. Um, you know, I put on a costume and uh, I greet visitors and uh, I welcome visitors uh, with other interpreters and we talk about this building, uh, the importance of it. Um, we talk about Judaism, we talk about Jewish traditions, we talk about Jewish culture, and the majority of the people who come through this building, they're not Jewish. Uh, they've never been inside synagogue mm -hmm. and they know uh, nothing about Judaism or they know very little about Judaism. And what I have, what I have heard from uh, the staff at Heritage Park, what I've always been told is that this, this is considered either the most popular or the second most popular exhibit at the park. But um, the visitors who come, they stay the longest in this building. This building is fascinating. Mm. to people. Uh, 
most people have never been inside a synagogue and so this is their opportunity to see what is a synagogue like what what it looks like and it's comfortable and uh, you know they could ask all sorts of questions and uh, and we you know have lots of interesting conversations and uh, and there's you know people from all over the world of course it's not just Calgarians who are here but uh, we have people from the Middle East we have people from all over North America from Asia who come and they've never been inside a synagogue and so it's really wonderful to have that opportunity to um, to share Jewish traditions and Jewish culture and of course to talk about Judaism to people who have never had that opportunity Okay, it is Sunday morning and I've just rolled up to the House of Jacob, the Orthodox Synagogue here in Calgary, for my first kosher stampede breakfast. It's been about three years since I've attended any stampede breakfast since the pandemic hit. I could see them setting up a bouncy castle right now on the lawn. Um, and I see a bunch of families and friends gathering around, of course, with their Stetson hats. Calgary, let's show the rest of the country what we're made of. So who am I speaking with? I'm Joel Zimmerman, J-O-E-L-Z-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N. What is your favorite thing about the Stampede? Oh, Stampede breakfasts. Yeah, you can eat free for like a whole week, for sure. So to people outside, because there's many people who are listening yeah. who are not from Alberta and Calgary, how does it work? Stampede breakfasts are usually put on by communities, sometimes community organizations or even, you know, churches, synagogues, mosques, community centers, businesses will put them on. Um, and you get a free breakfast. They'll usually, if the weather's nice, have it done in their, uh, in, in their parking lot or whatever, usually, you know, to draw in some business, but generally, you know, pancakes, sausages, eggs, hash browns for free. Yeah, it's a stampede breakfast. Everyone's welcome and you know, they draw a good crowd. Not in this case, but usually there is bacon and sausage accompanying the pancakes Sometimes, too. Sometimes, yes, and I, you know, maybe there would be turkey, turkey sausage or a kosher, kosher option here at this one but uh, yeah this is the for, as far as i'm concerned the only kosher uh i don't i don't know another one but the only kosher uh stampede breakfast in calgary right now now for someone i'm coming from montreal i've been okay. living in calgary for about eight years i always found this a bit interesting where where a lot of times the jewish communities outside in montreal would, would sort of be a little i would describe it as a little less assimilated but it feels with this we've really brought the jewish community in with the greater population i think it's so from my perspective, so I've been in Calgary for my whole life, for 30 years, um, and I think that the Jewish community definitely sets up and, uh, you know, is for the Jewish community, but we're welcoming, I would say. So I definitely, whenever I see, you know, activities like this or at the Jewish Community Center at one of the synagogues, you always see an influx of community members, um, and I think they're welcome. So. And what are you most looking forward to spending over the next 10 days when the stampede officially begins? Yeah, just spending some time outside, spending time with friends. Uh, there's always something to do during the stampede. The city comes alive and it's, it's really cool to see. So who am I speaking with? Marina Siegel. Um, I'm one of the board members of the House of Jacob Nick of Israel and a Calgarian for 40 years. So I try not to miss the one and only kosher stampede breakfast.
breakfast of the year. <laughs> Fair enough. To someone outside of Alberta and outside of Calgary, what is the one essential thing you think you need to say this to get into the spirit of the stampede? Oh, a lot of denim, <laughs> a good attitude, have fun, and uh, I don't know it's a lot of fun to welcome people from all over and just be friendly. <laughs> what do you think this means to the Jewish community to be able to to incorporate? And in, I see so many people with cowboy hats. I see so many people in denim enjoying this. What, what does this do to the Jewish community? I mean, it allows us to you know welcome people from the neighborhood and the outside of the Jewish community and sort of show that we're you know a team player. And it also allows our people to have a an opportunity to get into the Stampede spirit in a nice, fun, kosher, wholesome way. Just please introduce us. What's your name and how do you spell it? Maureen McVeigh. What does the Stampede mean to you? Oh, just fun. We can get together. We don't have to think about anything. We just have fun. I'm also a line dancer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you are Calgary born and bred? No. Okay. Where were you born? <laughs> you might have to whisper a little louder for Ontario. Okay. Yeah. I've lived there 30 years, but here 40 years. I feel home here. This is the only place I've ever felt home. And you are not Jewish, but you want to partake in this with the House of Jacob as well. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I have I have associated with Jewish people all my life, and they've been absolutely wonderful. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough about them. So, and and being being Catholic and and Jewish, it's we're we're kind of intertwined here. So. And as we can take a look, it is a whole bunch of different folks coming oh, out this yes. morning. So it's it's oh, a yes. hodgepodge mix for everyone. Yes. yes. And I'm getting the You're sense. You're very welcoming. Very, very welcoming. This area is. And, and because of some of the. I know what it's like to have people say horrible things behind your back that weren't true. So I, you know, I affiliated with that too because of it. Um, you know, get the story straight. I, Because of you had your back on, I feel very safe there because of the security and everybody's. You can have an intelligent conversation with people. Uh, I'm Millie Holton. And uh, what are you most looking forward to during the stampede? Everything. It's, it's a lot of fun going there. And the kids have fun. There's just a lot to see. And this whole city really shuts down and revolves around the stampede for the for the next 10 days. It yeah. really brings us all together, would you yeah, say? It, does. it brings everybody together. There's just so much community spirit during stampede week. You just don't see it any other time of the year. <laughs> You are. Could I ask you, what, what are you most looking forward to during Stampede? Anything? Eh. Eh? Everything? Yeah. Everything? Yeah. Yeah? And the shy one behind you? What are you most looking forward to during Stampede? What are you looking forward to, huh? Are you going to ride some rides? Yeah? It does work. It does work. We can hear your voice. If you talk. Hello. There ain't no place that ran There's a feeling in the air that you can't get anywhere except in Calgary. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week of July 15th, Shabbat Parshat Balak. Our producer is Michael Freeman, technical production by Andre Goulet. Our music is by So Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at the cjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai so they can hear what we're all about. As always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at the cjn.ca. I'm David Sklar, and yahoo, y'all. Hello.